Good morning, church. Uh, today our Bible reading comes from Psalm 16. Psalm 16. I can still see some pages being turned. I'll just give you a moment. Psalm 16, a mictum of David. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom all my delight, is all my delight. The sorrows of those who increase, who run after other gods. I will not pour out my libation of blood. Sorry, I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my Lord secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in place and places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who consoles me. Even at, the ni at night, my heart instructs me. I have said the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart, is glad, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My board also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave. No, you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at, the right, at your right hand. This is the word of God. Well, thank you, privilege, very much indeed. Morning, everybody. It's lovely to see you. It is good, isn't it, to, in, in a world that's so turbulent, to be able to gather on Easter Sunday morning and have our thoughts lifted beyond uh, this present plane to something really infinitely wonderful. And uh, if anything that you hear this morning or think about this morning um, strikes you and you would like to talk to, to anybody about it, do please come and do that at the end of the service. But uh, for now, please, let's have our Bibles open. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. Someone will bring a Bible to you. Uh, have it open at Psalm 16, and I'm going to ask the Lord to help us as we look at his word together. Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you for bringing us together today. Thank you for giving us the scriptures. Thank you that the scriptures are God-breathed and able to make us wise for salvation. So we do ask that you would speak words to us this morning that are timely and needful and helpful and wonderful. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've got the passage open in front of you, my text for this Easter message is the phrase at the end of verse 8, I will not be shaken. 
Uh, and it is my prayer that uh, you'll leave here today saying, well, yes, that is true for me. Um, if I didn't know it before, I know it now. I will not be shaken. And I realize I've set myself quite a challenging task because there's so much against it, isn't there? Uh, you may have come to church this morning feeling shaken by any number of different things. Uh, for some of you, it might be bad news from home. Uh, you're stuck in Cape Town. You're miles away from the family, and you can't do anything to help, and you're feeling shaken by that. Or it could be money worries. I don't know about you, but I find that everything has suddenly got massively more expensive, and you don't know how you're going to make ends meet. Or it could be a relationship that's hit a really rough patch and you can't see how it's ever going to be any different. Well, these are hard things. And when we come across a phrase in the Bible like this, I will not be shaken, it's not especially easy to accept it. Can we really say that whatever storms we might be facing, I will not be shaken? And then we read the heading in Psalm 16, which tells us that the author is David, king of Israel. And knowing that, of course, it's very tempting to say that his world was different from ours. It was less complicated. Uh, it, he wasn't facing the pressures that many of us are facing this morning. And yet, actually, the truth is that David lived in a world that was equally violent, uh, equally uncertain, and equally threatening. And he says as much in many places and in this psalm. But he also says that in spite of the pressures and the threats, because the Lord is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. So that's our key verse this morning. It's verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Now what we notice straight away in this psalm is how near God is to David. That's what's giving David his faith. Because if you think about it, you can't have God any closer than at your right hand. So, still today, don't we, we talk sometimes, don't we, about having a right-hand man. And a right-hand man is someone that you turn to in every situation of life for advice, support, and for action. And this is David's experience in Psalm 16. But did you notice, and I hope you did, that at the end of the psalm, in verse 11, that the right hand is mentioned again. And yet this time, in verse 11, it's talking about something slightly different. It's talking about the believer's ultimate security. So just have a look at verse 11. Uh, it reads, You've made known to me the path of life, you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now these two references to the right hand 
are teaching us, I think, a vital principle in the Christian life. Simply put, it is this, that because David has God at his right hand now in this world, he knows that he will be at God's right hand in the world to come. And that's why he can say, I will not be shaken. It's a security that no one but God can provide. So there are no other offers like this. There are no competitors in this particular market. It's an offer that is unique to God. And uh, Psalm 16 is designed to teach us how David's confident faith can be ours as well as we learn its truth and follow his example. Verse 1 is the foundation on which everything else depends. Verse 1, keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. So just notice there, will you, that verse 1 is a prayer, keep me safe. But it's a prayer that's based on a commitment of trust. In you I take refuge. And what follows in the rest of the psalm explains to us what that means in practice. So what does it mean in practice to take refuge in God? What does that mean in daily life, to have that kind of faith in this living God who protects us and keeps us so that we will not be shaken? Well, as uh, so often happens in the Bible, verses 2 to 6 teach us the positive applications in three powerful negatives. The Bible likes to do that sometimes, to teach a positive thing through some negatives. And that's, what hap- that's what's happening here. There are three things the psalmist wants us to know which help us understand what it means to take refuge in God. So firstly, in verse 2, David writes... I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. In other words, there is no other good apart from God. And I think we could paraphrase verse 2 like this. He's saying, I'm not looking anywhere else for the truly good things in life. The single most important characteristic about my life, says David, is that the Lord is my Lord. Now that is an absolutely huge thing for anybody to say, isn't it? That only in God is good to be found. But you see, it's possible to say it because of the character of God. If you've got an NIV Bible, you'll notice in the text that the word Lord in verse 2 is written in capital letters. And wherever we come across that in the Old Testament, it's uh, the way the Bible renders the uh, Hebrew Jehovah or Yahweh, which was the name by which God revealed himself to his people when he bound himself to them with unbreakable promises and dependable faithfulness. 
So whenever you and I come across that word Lord in capital letters in the Old Testament, we need to be thinking covenant. We need to think about the dependable mercies of God which are an expression of his faithful character. Because the God of the Bible has 24 carat faithfulness. That's who he is. Now you see, if that Lord is my Lord, well, it's not surprising if all my good comes from him. And I think it's rather fascinating that David, who is the king of Israel, and who knows what it means to have the entire nation looking at him to provide them with security, prosperity, and happiness, that the king himself says, but I know that those resources are not in me. They are in God alone. So the king leads the nation by saying that it's only in the Lord that we find the source of all goodness. Now, I guess over the last couple of months, all of us have been impressed with the leadership that President Zelensky has been giving to the people in Ukraine. Um, he, he's done a marvelous thing. He's, he's set a terrific example. He's been with them throughout their struggle. Um, he shared in their terrible ordeal. And he's done everything in his power to give them the resources they need in the fight. But of course he is limited, isn't he, by circumstances that are beyond his control. But when God is king in our lives, he is a source of good beyond even the very best human ruler. God is with us. Uh, he knows and understands everything we might be going through this morning. And he has none of the limitations of any human ruler. Which is why David says, apart from you, I have no good thing. Now, I wonder if we've really learned that in our own lives. It's very easy, isn't it, for us to look for help in the wrong place, always hoping that the other people around us are going to supply what we want, and that those very special relationships, which I guess all of us enjoy, will actually turn out to be for us what only God can be. Or perhaps to look at the things that we have, maybe our career, uh, or our reputation, or maybe the things that we own, resources that we think somehow are independent of God. But God, you see, is the source of everything that is truly good. Every good thing we have, whatever it is, comes from him. And that's what it means to take our refuge in God. Then secondly, David says, there are no other gods. No other good, no other gods. Verse 3, as for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. So David, you see, is not going to be diverted. He's going to find 
real delight in his relationships with the people of God, the saints. That's what the word means in the, in the verse. Because he knows that his deepest relationship is with God himself. And that's why David, you see, is going to distance himself from anything and everything that tries to seduce him into idolatry. He understands that all of the idols in his culture are empty and they are lifeless and that none of them can provide real security for him. Now, how does that apply to us today? Well, today we are living in a religious supermarket. So people tell us that um, today you can choose your approach to God from any number of different options. Uh, You can even combine them uh, to give you a religion that works for you and doesn't offend anybody. So, for example, you can have a little bit of the God of the Bible and uh, you can mix that with the ancestors uh, or with political correctness or with any of the the other sort of um, spiritual ideas that we find in the culture. But, friends, the truth is There are no other gods. There are no other alternatives. So to put my faith in God alone means no other good. It means no other gods. And then thirdly, in verses 5 and 6, no other goals. You see, when God comes first... When he alone is Lord and we know that he alone is the source of everything good, there is a contentment and uh, there's a proper sense of rest and peace, which I think verses 5 and 6 express beautifully. Verse 5, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. That, I think, is a reference to food and our daily needs. You have made my lot secure. In other words, my lot in life is in your hands. You're in control. You know where I am. You know what I'm doing. Verse 6. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And my whole inheritance is delightful, verse 6, because, why... It's dependent on your character. It's dependent on your promises. So whether it's my daily needs being met, or whether it's my job, or where I live, or my contacts, or my relationships, my whole inheritance, says David, is God's provision secured for me by his limitless power. Now, Uh, Some people might look at that and say, well, Simon, that sounds really rather boring. Uh, It sounds terribly passive. sounds as if God does everything and what we do is just sit back, put our feet up and accept it. But that's not actually what David means at all. Because God is full of surprises and his blessings overflow into into our lives in ways that we can't begin to imagine until ultimately they lead us to the inheritance of God himself in heaven. So to trust in a God like this 
is not to live a life that is lacking in adventure. It's not. But it does take away the restless anxiety and the gut-wrenching uncertainty of living a life that is not in God's hands. Now, why do I say that? How do I support that statement? Well, just look at the benefits that flow to the believer when there is no other good, no other gods, and no other goals than those which God himself provides. Verse 7, have a look at it. God grants me his counsel. In other words, he is the source of all true wisdom. Which is why in the New Testament that the Apostle James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Then, next, verse 8, he gives me stability because God is constantly with us. He's standing by us to strengthen us and deliver us from harm. Because he is at my right hand, really close, I will not be shaken. And friends, there is no power in the universe greater than that. Verse 9 speaks about security. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. So so he gives me security both in this present life, and notice how verse 10 continues, also in the future, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. So friends, can you see that when God is my refuge, uh, when for me there is no other good, uh, no other gods, no other goals, then God's part of the contract is that he gives us wisdom, stability, security, and ultimately, eternal life. And so we can say with David, verse 11, you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your Right hand, And that's surely what David means when he says at the beginning of verse 11, you have made known to me the path of life. That's what this psalm is all about. Therefore, I will not be shaken. Well, so far, so good. Uh, it's an absolutely lovely poem. But uh, how do we know that it isn't just words? How do we know that it isn't any more than just wishful thinking? Well, did you know that uh, this great truth in Psalm 16 has actually been proved beyond all doubt because it's happened in history? So this is not God promising something that would be absolutely marvellous if it were only so, but which actually we can't verify. No, that's not what's happening. No, God has acted in history to bring this about. But in order to find the fulfillment, we have to turn to the New Testament. So please, will you turn with me now to Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. 
Acts chapter 2, where we have Peter, on the day of Pentecost, preaching his famous sermon about who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. So Acts chapter 2, and uh, please have a look at verse 25 and following. Acts 2, verse 25 and following. And you'll notice there that the Apostle Peter is quoting from verses 8 to 11 in Psalm 16. Verse 25. David said about him, who? David said about Jesus. I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Now it's a long sermon, but friends, this is the key part of Peter's sermon. And he's using Psalm 16 from the Old Testament, written a thousand years earlier, to prove that in and through Jesus, all these great promises of eternal rescue have been perfectly fulfilled. So read on with me, verse 29. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he, that is David, spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. So can you see what Peter's saying there? That God, through David in Psalm 16, promises the resurrection of Jesus. Because David wasn't talking about himself. But he's predicting the resurrection of the Messiah, who would not be abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay, God has raised this Jesus to life. And you see, that is the guarantee that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and, and when we make him our refuge, he offers us forgiveness and everlasting life instead of condemnation and hell. Now you can read about that in Acts chapter 2, and uh, you can also read about it in Acts chapter 13, where the Apostle Paul quotes verse 10 from our psalm with exactly the same application. You don't need to turn to it now, you can look it up later. But in Acts chapter 13, we find the Apostle Paul preaching a marvellous sermon in Antioch, and he says that the promise that the Holy One would not be allowed to see decay or corruption is fulfilled in Jesus. This is what Paul says. David died and was buried. His body did decay. 
So David couldn't possibly have been thinking about himself in Psalm 16. But, says Paul, God raised David's descendant, the Lord Jesus, from the dead in the power of an endless life, which he offers to everyone who makes him his refuge. So you see, the guarantee that we will be at the right hand of the Father for eternity is through the person of the Lord Jesus. His resurrection is actually the prototype of our own resurrection. It happened in history on the first Easter Sunday. He committed himself to the Father's will. He went through the suffering of the cross to the glory of heaven. And everyone who's united to him by faith will find that in the face of death, we too will not be shaken, but that we will pass through death and share in his eternal resurrection life. But you see, it's only through him that we can enter into these marvellous promises. And friends, the point is that if the Lord is not at our right hand now, if we will not let God be God in our lives this morning, if we're not prepared to take him as our refuge now, then we won't be at his right hand for all eternity. But if we do trust him now, we will not be shaken. Well, friends, the offer here in Psalm 16 is unique, but uh, the contract is waiting for our signature. And uh, that signature came right at the very beginning of Psalm 16. Let me remind you of that verse as we close. In verse 1, Psalm 16, David says, Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. So friends, when we say that there is no other good apart from God, no other gods than him, and no other goals than his goals in our lives, we're signing the contract. You are my Lord. I'm taking refuge in you. And uh, God, for his part, says, if you set me at your right hand, I will be your counsellor. I'll give you stability. I'll give you security. And I will bring you through death into my presence where there is joy and pleasures forever. Well, as I say, it is a unique offer. You will not find this anywhere else. And God calls upon us this Easter morning to sign the contract if we haven't already done so. And if that's you, why don't you sign the contract in the quietness of your heart as I lead us in prayer?
Well, our gracious Father, we, we thank you for these words and for their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Thank you that he has shown us that even death will not ultimately shake us from your grip and that death is but the gate to eternal life. So we pray that you would write your words on our minds and burn them into our hearts that we might live in the light of them. And we pray that we may be able to say this morning, you are my Lord. And to know that because you are at our right hand now, that we shall be unshaken at your right hand forever and ever. Thank you for such a great gospel. Please keep us trusting and please keep us living in the light of it. For we ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen.